Thank you for listening to Christ Church Showmans. This is Jared Sparks, one of the pastors at Christ Church Carbondale. We want to thank you so much for listening, as Ransom said, my son. And we ultimately hope that these are God-honoring. And because they are God-honoring, we hope that they are also edifying and encouraging and, and challenging to you in the best sort of way. Thanks so much for listening. Passage we are coming to starts to deal with marriage. <clears throat> and uh, Jared looked at it and said, that's kind of a two-part sermon. And, well, I, I want to do both, both parts. So we are taking a pause for one Sunday out of 1 Peter <clears throat> so Jared can do both parts of that passage. No, it, He's right, he should do, and it's going to be uh, a joy to, to, to come, come back to 1 Peter and see what he has to say in that. And so uh, we'll be in the book of Colossians this morning, and the first chapter of Colossians, and we'll be starting in verse 15. And the goal today is simple, it's to exalt Christ. Uh, when we open this passage, we look at what it is. This is um, probably one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture, dealing with who Christ is. If you were to do a class on the doctrine of Christ and Christology, you would come to, normally, Colossians 1.15. It is a uh, deeply theological passage, but it's also deeply important because it deals with a very important topic of who is Jesus. And uh, we get to read this because the Colossian church had a bad understanding of that. <laughs> there was some bad teaching propagating through that church that, that came up and said, um, that was teaching some heresy, teaching some things that was false about who Christ is. And Paul, caring for his brothers and sisters, um, most he's not even met, knew how to approach that. And it wasn't to just let it go. It wasn't to say, oh man, Colossians are, are blowing it over there. They've now, they now think Jesus is a spirit. They, they think Jesus is, is not really God. Um, I'm just gonna let that go. I'm just gonna pray for him and hope, that, hope for the best. No, Paul and, and, and Timothy and those with him, they did commit to prayer, praying daily for the church. But what we see is that they didn't just pray about it. Paul also wrote to them, and he corrects their doctrine and says, you need to know the truth about who Christ is. You need to know the truth of the Christ that has saved you. You are our brothers and sisters in Christ. You are, we are all in the same family. You need to know the right doctrine. And if it was right for them to know right doctrine, it's right for us. And so we need to make sure today that we know uh, really who Christ is. We want to make sure that we are convinced of that in our own hearts, and that applies to every aspect of our life. Because knowing truth is crucial to live. We, we live in a world that doesn't really celebrate truth anymore, it celebrates feelings, emotions, celebrates, well, lots of things that, that are not truth. And so, but when we, know, we know through life experiences that as you've done things in your life, as you've done things in your jobs, you've done things in your family, you know that truth is essential. If, if you tell lies, you get caught. If you live on things that are not truthful, then they're going to fail you. Only truth is what we need in our lives. And so we know that, and so we want to know the truth. And the only way we can know what truth really is, is to seek out Scripture. This is the only truth that matters. This is the truth. And so that's our goal today, is to, to seek out the scriptures, seek out what God says about his son Christ, and we're going to come away with a better understanding of who Christ is, and, and also a better understanding of who we are. And we have a good understanding of who Christ is, and a good understanding of who we are, it allows us to worship. Because if we have a false view of ourselves, we have a tendency to probably lift ourselves up 
And that does not lead to worship. It does not lead to honoring God in the right way. And in the same way, if we have a false view of who God is and who Christ is, then again, it's not going to lead to worship. It's going to lead to uh, a false worship that does not honor and glorify God. And so that is our goal today, to, um, to exalt Christ in all things and to have a right view of what the Lord says. Let's start in verse 15. I'm going to read uh, starting, well, I don't know. Wherever I stop, that's where we're stopping. Starting at verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So we just, we get to see here, we just get these magnificent statements about who Christ is. And our first one that we come to is that he is the image of the invisible God. That he is an image of God. I think the Greek word there is icon. We get to see that he is the exact replica of God. We know from passages like John 1.18 that God is invisible. We know that Jesus said in John 14.9 that, that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So we know these truths are already, pre, already presented themselves throughout the text, and we've already seen that we know, yes, yes, God is invisible, God is a spirit. And we've seen Jesus say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So if you've seen Christ, you've seen how he acts, how he lives, how he does things on earth, you've seen the characteristics of the Father. And so we see that Paul starts right away by saying that Jesus Christ is God. This is a clear statement about the deity of Jesus Christ. He does not want, uh, does not want there to be any confusion. If you're going to start somewhere, you start at the foundational level and say, Jesus is God. He is not created. He is not a demigod. He is not a spirit emanation even though a good one, he's not a spirit emanation from God, he is God. And that's where Paul starts. That's where he starts there. If we want to know, we want to know God, we want to know the Father, we can look to Christ. If we scour these scriptures, not just these, but all of this text, and we see different points about who God is, we see Christ. If we look at all the texts in the, in the Gospels, the New Testament, about who Christ is, we see God. We see that, that Christ is an image of the invisible God. Now, as we, as we see this text and we hear this, some of us were raised in church. If you're raised in church, you think, well, yeah, Jesus is God. I've learned about the Trinity, you know, since I was in, in preschool. I know Jesus is God. But it's not a light text. It's not something that we just take for granted. We have to make sure we know that Jesus is God. Because in, in the time this was being written, there were people who did not believe that Jesus was God. And I want to give them a little bit of grace here because if you were, were raised thinking that, that you know, in the, in, the, in the Jewish tradition, if you're raised in that way, then you knew that there was one God. And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes onto the scene, and there has to be this work of the Holy Spirit to teach people that Jesus is God. And what do these scriptures mean? So this is why Paul is, is really right on telling people, yes, Jesus is God. This has been something that's all throughout history. You know, we, we know of the Arian controversy in, in the fourth century where, where Arius says that, no, Jesus is not 
fully God. He is not of the same substance of God. He is of a like substance. And if, if you are of like substance, you are not actually God. And that controversy was, was ravaging the church. It was splitting the church up. And the Nicene Creed finally put a hammer on that and said, no, Jesus is God. He is of the same substance that God is. And that we can trust that. We, we have, um, one thing that's nice about when we were born is that we get to come in at a time where a lot of controversies have happened and they've been settled. We have all of these creeds, we have all these statements, we have all of these things uh, of all these good early uh, church fathers that come before us to, to have all those arguments and disagreements. We've, and we've had the councils that have met and we get to come in and we have the, the full word of God, the full counsel of God, and we have the historical theology that people have, have been raised up in. So we don't want to squander that. But yet, what do people today what do they say about Jesus? Jared alluded to the State of Theology survey a few weeks ago, and in that survey, they also asked the question, who is Jesus? Is Jesus God, or is Jesus is a good teacher? 52% of Americans claim that Jesus was not God, but was a good person. So 52% of Americans, that means that more than likely there are people in your life right now that do not believe that Jesus was God. They believe that Jesus was a good person. So as you are in your workplaces, in your hobbies, in the, in the places that we do life, we are going to encounter more than likely, uh, if you are go outside of these walls, that you're going to encounter people who do not believe that Jesus was God, that he was a good teacher, he did some good things, but he was most definitely not God. But it's got to be better in the church, right? Well, that same survey was asked to evangelicals, and this is self-proclaiming evangelicals. I'm just going to throw that out there. 30% of them agree that Jesus was just a good teacher. So these are people that are in our churches every, every Sunday, or at least claim to be in our churches on Sundays. They also claim that 30% of them, which thankfully is not a majority, but it's still a lot of people. 30% of people in our churches claim that Jesus was not God, that he was just a good teacher. We see this also. There's a lot of movements going on that, that are popular right now. We, there's a lot of uh, overly charismatic movements right now that they want to claim that while Jesus was on earth, that he fully gave up all of his deity, that he was just a man. And, and they have to come to this conclusion because it fits in with what they want to teach. They want to teach that, that you and I, and every person, can do everything Jesus can do. But to get to that conclusion, you have to ignore a lot of Scripture. You have to ignore what the Bible says. And so we, we, have, to, we have to look right now, what does the text say? I don't care what surveys say or any, anything else. What, is, what does the text say? And so parts, Paul clearly starts with that he is the image of the invisible God, so he is claiming right there that he is God. Jesus claimed that he was God. If you want to see, if you want to know the Father, look at me. So we have these very clear claims that he was God. As we start here, we have this idea of image. And normally we think about the image of God. A lot of the, that comes to our minds right now is the Imago Dei, that, that mankind was created in the image of God. And that is true. That is something that, that we need to make sure that we, we hold on to. It is a truth. But at the same time, anytime there's something that can be truthful, it can also be abused. 
And we have to be clear on how we use the Imago Dei. We have to be clear exactly how we understand that mankind was made in the image of God. And to do that, we have to understand it rightly. Yes, man is created in the image of God. Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. They, they were not God. They were not like representations of God, but there was, there was things about Adam and Eve that they could do. They were to represent God to the world. They were to rule over their creation, over God's creation, not their creation, over the creation that God al allowed them to be in. They were to do that. Now, they chose to sin. They, they, they chose sin, and so Adam, when, when he chose sin, and, and then we all now are born sinners, that fully corrupted the image of God. And so man in our natural state, in our state without Christ, we are terrible representatives of God. We are still made in the image of God, but that image has been, has been really shattered. There's some, still some things that, that man can do and mankind can do. Of, of we have reason, we have logic, we can think, we can, we can make decisions. There, but as part of doing good and doing right, mankind in, in its original state, as in without Christ, is, is not a good image. Now, that image can be restored because of the blood, the, the blood of Christ. All of us in here who have repented of our sins and trusted in Jesus, that image has been somewhat restored, right? Because now, as we are living with the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, we can actually choose to do things that honor God. We can do things that God has called us to do. And those things are good. They are not evil deeds. And so we are able to uh, do things that are pleasing to God. And so by doing that, we can now rule over creation in a right way. We can now, uh, we can now represent God to, to people. We want people to see us, see our lives, see the things that we do, the things we say, the way we, that we lead our families and say, there's something different about that person. There's something oddly strange about them. And that strangeness should be that we love Christ and that we want to represent him to the world. But even with that truth, we are still not the best image of God. The best image of God is Jesus. And we have to make sure we understand that Jesus is the true image of God. When we think about the Imago Dei, the best image that could ever live, ever be, that we could ever look to is Jesus. He was the fullness of deity as he came to earth. And as he came, he was the perfect representation of God. He never sinned. He fully, he ruled well. He is the ruler of creation. He is God. And he came in humanity, completely changed the world. So uh, the representative who actually represents God is not us as mankind, but it is Jesus. So every representation we have that is good and right is to point to Christ, the true representative. And so that should be our goal as we, as we live, as we do things. N.T. Wright says that the sun is the climax of the history of creation, and at the same time, the starting point of the new creation. We don't want to think that we are the climax of creation. Mankind is, is amazing of what God has, God has created us and the things that, that mankind could do. There are things invented in this world. There are people who have knowledge and abilities in this world that I can't even fathom. Okay, there's like titles of classes in college that I can't even pronounce or know what they mean, but people understand that stuff, and it's amazing to me because God is an amazing and powerful God, but as, as 
amazing as mankind is and the and amazing things that God has gifted mankind with, we are still not, not, we are still not the climax of creation because Jesus is. Jesus came into the world as fully man, fully God, and he changed the world. Because at that point, he started a new creation. He started a creation of, of you and I, people who can then look to Christ as our Savior. So Jesus has completely changed the world. Then he moves on, and Paul says that Christ is the firstborn of all creation. Now, if we read that, and, and that's what your text says, that may be a little confusing. We may be tempted to say, Paul, did you, did you mean to, to write that there? I mean, that doesn't seem to make sense. Now, you're saying that, that he is the image of God, but he's also firstborn. So at first, it could kind of give us, like, hmm, I'm confused by that. I'm not sure where you're, where you're going there. This, this text alone has been a lot of controversy throughout time. We've already kind of mentioned that. But here, you have to understand that Paul is laying the foundational layer. He's already layered, put the, the layer of the fact that, that Jesus is God. He's already put that layer down. So he knows that God has no beginning and God has no end. That, so he knows those truths. So with that truth in mind, firstborn cannot mean an actual physical birth. The firstborn that he's referring to is actually in, in rule and authority. And the original readers would have understood that. They would have understood that there was... Um, a firstborn that was supposed to inherit, that was supposed to be the next person in charge. If you were a king, your firstborn son was supposed to be the next king. He was supposed to be the rightful ruler that was to come. But in this case, Jesus is the rightful ruler. And so by firstborn of all creation, he is the true supreme ruler of creation. Christ has supremacy over all things and over creation. And we know this understanding because it comes back from the Old Testament. This isn't a, a new idea that Paul's just kind of thrusting out there. The original readers would have understood, oh yeah, that's pointing back to the Old Testament. Psalm 89, 27 says, and I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the king of kings. He's talking about King David. King David was not the firstborn. King David was not the first king of Israel. But yet God is saying that, that I am choosing David. I am choosing David to be the, the king of kings. I am choosing him to be the one that I make a covenant with. And, and like he did with David, he, we see that in Jesus. We see that in the Old Testament, that, that Adam was, was there to, to rule. We see that with Israel. Israel was there. They were a chosen people. And God told them to represent him to the nations. And Israel and like every human example we can look at, we can see where they failed in that way. But then we can look to Christ, and we see that Christ did not fail in any way to represent God to the people. So we see, we can look back to, to Arius again, or we can look other places. We can see how this has been abused. But we can also see, if we read it in the right way, in the right context, we see that the conclusion is not Jesus was born, we can see that the conclusion is, is that Jesus is the true and right ruler of all. And that includes us today. That includes us, our hearts, our lives, that we are to submit ourselves to Christ. Believers, non-believers, Jesus is Lord of all. So Christ is the supreme ruler over all creation. There is nothing in all of creation that is not subject to the Lord Jesus Christ. Continue on to verse 16. 
And Paul continues to highlight the supremacy of Christ in creation. And to do this, he gives three different examples of all the ways that Christ is supreme in all of creation. He starts with, by him. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So in there it says, by him, or that could be translated in him, all of God's creative work was done in reference to Christ. And we look at that example there, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, if it's visible or it's invisible, that's everything, right? Is there anything that doesn't fit into those categories? It's either it's visible or it's invisible, which means it's either a, the physical world that you and I see that we interact with, or it's the spiritual world. What we can't see, but it's there, it's going on. We don't fully understand all the things that surround it, but Christ is supreme over all of that. That means he's supreme over every ruler, Every person who places himself in power, he is supreme over all of them in this physical, visible world. But Christ is also supreme over any spiritual spirit that is out there. So we don't worship angels. We don't worship any sort of spirit other than the one true God, because Jesus is ruler over all of them. Now, he, this is specifically mentioned because this was part of the problem with, with the heresy that was kind of being taught in the church, was that, that Jesus was was not really God, but that he was a, he was a spirit emanating from, from God, and therefore a, a good spirit that God did create, but, but he was just a spirit, and, and actually there was a belief at that time, I don't particularly know if it was in the church of Colossae or not, but that when Jesus walked on earth, he didn't actually leave footprints, because he was a spirit emanating from God. I, I don't know uh, much about that, but I've read it before. And, uh, so there, that, that belief was out there, that Jesus wasn't fully God, but he was a spirit, and he was, maybe he was a, he was a better angel, a better version of an angel. Um, those, those, lots of those ideas were out there. Paul wants to make, make sure it's clear that visible or invisible, Jesus is supreme, and that all of creation was done in reference to him. Then he says, through him, Christ acted with God and as God in the work of creation. This is something that we have to kind of relearn as we, as we read the scriptures, because a lot of times when we think about uh, the Godhead, we want to just say, well, God the Father did this, God the Son did this, God the Spirit does this, and, and we, we forget sometimes the unity that exists inside the, the Godhead, and that we see here that God, that Christ was there with creation, of course, as, as he's uh, in the Godhead, and that he worked with God and as God in the work of creation, so that we can see that if, if Christ worked in creation and he was part of creation as in the person, as God doing the work, then he can't be created. He is ruler over his own creation and for him. Christ is the reason for all of God's creative work. God's plan that he has for redemption involves Christ. Creation was for him. We see all this, and so we come down to this for him, through him, and, for, and, and by him. When we come to those conclusions about all of creation, it comes to the conclusion of is Christ is supreme over all. There is no aspect of creation that Christ is not supreme over. He is ruler of all. He is preeminent in all of creation. Tom Schreiner says, Jesus is the goal as well as the agent of all creation. 
The glory that belongs to the only God also belongs to Jesus as creator and Lord. Jesus is the goal and also the agent. That is an amazing thing. One that if you just think about for a long time might start giving you a headache because the person who, who was the agent of creation is also the goal. Now, if I were to make something to where it was going to make me the goal, that would probably be uh, narcissist or it would, it would not be a good thing. But when you are the ruler of all, when you are supreme over all, is a good thing. And we have a good God and we can trust in the Lord in all things. We continue on to verse 17. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Christ right now is sustaining the, the creation. That's a mind-boggling thought. I, I do not know much about science, even though I have a science degree. But it's applied science, so you have to give me some... No, don't. It's okay. You know. But there is so much of this universe, this world of our bodies, that to sustain creation is an amazing, amazing thing. I remember learning in school, in grade school, about how, you know, you had to learn the solar system, and, you know, back then, Pluto was a planet. I don't know if it is now, but it was back then. But we learned this, the solar system. We learned where Earth is in that, in that solar system. And I remember our teachers saying, if we were you know, any farther away from the sun, we'd all freeze and die. If we were any closer to the sun, we'd all burn up and die. That we were just in the perfect right spot. Who sustains that? Who keeps Earth from drifting? And you know, when you're in school, you learn all these scientific laws, things that don't really make sense to, to people, but all these things, that they have to exist in a certain way or we all die. If this doesn't, if this doesn't work in this certain way, then something's going to blow up. Who sustains all those laws? Who sustains the fact that we're not floating right now and that gravity remains constant? Who sustains that? Christ does. It's a big job. I'm just going to say it. it's a big job. Christ is sustaining all things. He is good and he is supreme over that creation. I remember thinking about just, just our bodies. And I'm not a medical person either. You're starting to wonder what I am, but I'm not that either. <laughs> My wife's the medical in the family. But I think about the human heart. And the, the heart always amazes me because it just keeps beating. And I know that, that there are people's hearts sometimes stop beating earlier than others. But just overall, in general, the heart is an amazing thing. The fact that some people live to be a, over 100 years old and that heart beats for 100 years is amazing. And, it, and Christ sustains that. And every, everything we have in our earth, everything that we have in our bodies, it is going to be sustained until God decides it's time to not sustain it, until the perfect right time. Right now, we live in a world that uh, really wants us to live in fear about a lot of things, a lot of things with our bodies, a lot of things with our health, a lot of things with this earth. There are people telling us that the earth is getting ready to explode or end or something, some kind of chaos. There's something is coming. I think it was actually supposed to already happen by some people, and then they've changed it, and now it's, it's going to happen again. Uh, if we don't do certain things, stuff's going to run out. If we don't do something, um, you know, the earth's temperature has raised fractions of a degree over hundreds of years. 
And we need, to be, we need to live in fear of that, is what our culture wants us to believe. But see, they don't understand something. They don't understand that the agent and the goal of creation is currently sustaining our earth. And that he is supreme over that. And that if there is a variation of a temperature change, it is because of his plan and he is fully in control of that. Not only that, but he is causing it. And so I don't need to be concerned about the temperature of the earth. I don't need to be concerned about those things because Christ is going to sustain it. I don't need to be concerned about the, the, the resources that God has gifted us to, to use in our homes, and our lives. He's going to sustain those resources. They're going to be there for us. And if they run out, it's because he wants them to run out. At the allotted time, he wants them to run out. That's it. Now, that doesn't mean we're, we are uh, wasteful of the things God's given us. We are blessed to live in the, in the earth that God has created. We, we should want to steward those resources well. But it doesn't mean we live in fear that this world is going to just descend into chaos. We trust the Lord because he is supreme over creation. So don't live in fear. Don't live in fear at all of what people says this earth is going to do or what they say your body is going to do or that you, you need so much things in your body to maintain uh, healthy. Take care of the body God's given you. Take care of the earth God's given you, but trust in him over all things. So just as we saw that Christ is supreme over creation, now we get to move on into verse 18. We see that Christ is supreme over redemption. We move from the creation to the new creation, and we see that nothing changes. Christ is still supreme. He is ruler of all. Verse 18 says, And he is the body, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Some similar themes here going on. If you really want to read about Colossians, you, you get into some debates over is this a hymn or is it not a hymn? Um, I have no idea. I, I don't have an opinion on that. But if it is a hymn, I think it's amazing. I think it's amazing that if it was a hymn, that this is the richness of the hymns that, that they were singing because it's centered around Christ. Uh, but I don't know if it's a hymn or not. Just throw it out there. As we see that Christ is the head of the body of the church, we see that there's lots of depictions in the New Testament, New Testament about the church, about the body. And the body seems to be one that is, 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 a, is used quite often. And we think about our, our own bodies as a representation about Christ being the head of the church. We know that our bodies need a head, all right? Again, you don't have to have a medical degree to know that you need your head to live in this world. Our head is what, it's what leads us, what guides us. Our brain sends... Uh, sends things to the rest of the body to say, hey, move. Hey, think. Hey, catch that ball before it hits you in the face. It says all these things. There's also parts of our head that controls the growth of our bodies. And we see that in Christ as we come as the body of Christ, that he leads us, he guides us, that we follow him and that we grow because of him. Jesus was the first to defeat death. He was the firstborn from the dead. Christ was the first to defeat death. We are getting to an Easter time where we celebrate the death and resurrection of Christ, something we celebrate 365 days of the year. Um, just a, an FYI, if you're, if you're new here, that's what we do. Um, Christ was victorious over death. The men and women, the mankind that God created, thought they could stop him by crucifying him. 
And he willingly allowed that crucifixion to happen, and he was victorious over death. Death could not hold him. He was fully resurrected. So men cannot defeat Christ, and Christ defeated death. Again, proving his deity, proving his lordship, the conquering of death, this defeat of death that Christ displayed, just paved the way for for a new humanity, for the new creation. Men and women, us in here, us people all over the world right now, people that are worshiping with us at the exact same time, or people that are worshiping at different times from all of history, all of those who now have changed hearts because they are a new creation in Christ. All of that from Christ defeating death on that cross and by raising from, from the grave and the tomb three days later. But don't miss the fact as we talk about Christ and his resurrection, as we talk about the fact that he is the firstborn from the dead, it kind of alludes to the fact that if Christ was first, there's going to be more. Usually if you say someone is first, it means there's some, someone or something behind them. And we are that. We are that thing. We follow with Christ. Not only has Christ conquered death, but he has conquered death on our behalf. Because we, we are going to follow Christ in that. At some point, sometime, when God has planned for it to happen, you and I as physical bodies are going to die. And for everyone in here who has trusted in Jesus, placed their full faith in him, that death is going to mean nothing. Because we are going to go and be with Jesus because of him being the firstborn from the dead. So we see that he is preeminent in that, that, that victory that we have is not to be praised for us, but is to be praised for Jesus because he has won that victory for us. So anytime people look to us, we point them to Christ. Just as creation is dependent on Jesus, redemption is fully dependent on Jesus too. As he continues in verse 19, Paul continues to stress that Jesus was divine, but now he starts to pull in the the full deity of the Godhead, that there's one God, three persons, all in perfect unity, but when in Christ, the fullness of, of God dwells. In verse 20, we continue, we see God's plan of reconciliation was perfectly executed by the work of Christ. Now, as we see in verse 20, and we think about reconciliation, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm quickly, I, I think about humanity here. We think about, um, we think about ourselves. We think about our stories. We think about the fact that, that we fit into this story. We are, we are reconciled with God. We are made right with God because of Christ's work. Not because of any work that we ever have done or will ever do. We are only reconciled to God, made right with God because of Christ. And that reconciliation was according to God's plan. So yes, we see, we see humanity here. We see uh, us being reconciled to God. But it goes farther than that. We often think of reconciliation. When we think of, of the word reconciliation, we think of reconciling two different parties together. Something has happened, and those two parties are, are reconciled together. And so it's easy to see humanity here as we know that we were enemies of God, and we have been reconciled to him through Christ. But in verse 20, it says, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. All things, all things are going to be reconciled to Christ. He's going to make all things new. All things are going to be reconciled. Now, we think of reconciliation, we think of of us being reconciled to God, we think of of how that thing, two parties are made right, 
But another part of reconcil reconciliation is also judgment. Another way of making things right is by God enacting judgment on evil, on wickedness. So the, the truth of the matter is, is that Christ is going to reconcile all things to himself. That includes humanity, that includes this earth, that includes all things that were corrupted by the fall. And since it includes humanity, we have to understand that that includes every single person in here and every single person in the world that has ever lived. That we are going to be reconciled through Jesus by, by right now repenting of our sins and trusting in Christ and saying, and the blood of Christ covering, atoning for our sins and being adopted into God's family or some in, in, in stubbornness and in pride are going to say, I don't need Jesus. Jesus is not the ruler of my life. He is not Lord of all. And then they're going to refuse to bow the knee. But in judgment, they're going to see that Jesus is the Lord of all. And they are going to bow the knee. Everyone is going to bow the knee. It just depends on which side of death you're going to do it. So if you're not a believer in here, I, I plead with you today to see that you need Christ. That you need, you need a Savior. Everything that exists, whether visible or invisible, spiritual or physical, is subject to the Lord Jesus Christ. So in these last few verses, we've, we've been able to see uh, just the majesty of Christ, just who he is, the right view that he is God, that he is ruler of all, and that he dwells in perfect unity with the Godhead. And so with a right view of, of God, with a right view of who Christ is, we need to have a right view of man. We need to know who we are, who is mankind, Let's continue on in verse uh, 21. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So if we take what we know about Christ we just heard, and now we take what we know about the Colossians, and just so we're all clear, us, we, we are the same of who the Colossians were before Christ. Before Christ, we were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. If you want to know who you are without Christ, that's it. You are alienated from God. You are not a part of God at all. Not only that, you are hostile in mind. So when you think about who Jesus is, you are hostile. You do not want to please him. You do not want to be a part of his family. You do not want to think about him as, as ruler, as, as supreme. You are hostile. You want nothing good for him. And that leads to evil deeds. The deeds that then you do in this world are evil. Even if they are not evil by, by worldly standards or worldly laws or worldly uh, governments, they are, world, they are evil in God's eyes. And, and that is what matters. As we think about what true evil is, um, we live in a world that is very confused by that. Our world is very, very confused about what evil is. But what is evil are, we, are deeds done by those that are not in Christ. It is deeds that go against Scripture and go against the law of God. This is a description of every single person that does, does not repent and trust in Christ. Just to go back to that survey, the State of Theology survey, because we want to know, how does the world view this? How does the world see themselves? They, they asked the question, um, 
how about mankind? And 46% agree that everyone sins a little bit, but most people are good by nature. Good by nature. Meaning that most of their works are actually good, pleasing to God, in line with the law of God. Scripture says no. You may do things that, that look, look good in the world. You may do things that are worldly good. They're evil deeds. And that's who we are. That is who we are without Christ. And so if we want to have a right view of ourselves, we have to start there. That is who we are without Christ. And it's not a pretty picture. It's a picture that Paul's painting for the Colossians, and he wants them to understand this. It's the, it's the picture that, that, we, that is painted for us. So we have a right view of ourselves that leads us to worship God. But this is what's so amazing, because we look at this picture of who we are, and we think, there is nothing good there. Why would anybody want any part of that? They're hostile in mind. They're alienated. They do evil deeds. Why on earth would anybody want something to do with that? And God says that my plan is to reconcile them. I'm going to send Jesus into this world to live a perfect life and to go to the cross and to atone for their sins. And, I'm, and then he's raised from the grave, fully defeating death, and imparts his righteousness to us so that we can live a life where we can have good deeds, deeds that are pleasing to the Father. And not only are we justified, not only are we reconciled to God, God says, you are in my family. I want to bring you into my family. And that's what, that's what God does for us. That is what God's plan is for us. And it's for anybody who repents of their sin and trusts in Jesus. It is a free offer for anyone to do that. See, we, are, we, are, we were filthy sinners without Christ. And Christ doesn't just come alongside of us and say, okay, hey, I know, you've, I know you are a filthy sinner. You're alienated. You're hostile mind. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to put a disguise on. You wear this costume, and I'll put some makeup on you. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to present you to my Father, God, and, and, and we'll clean you up a little. No, he makes us a new creation. And he presents us as blameless to his Father. He's only able to do that because of the righteousness that he imparts to us. And, we, and I think when we think about this rightly, the only response to this is worship. The only response to this is to tell others about him. What good news would it be if we just kept that in our pocket and didn't share it? This should lead to so many things in our lives. And we see this in this, in this last verse as we're getting ready to, to close here. In the last verse, it says, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. You know, we can dwell on certain words in that verse and say, the fact that it says, if indeed you continue in the faith, and say, oh, if, if I continue, what does that mean? Here's what it means. If Christ has made you a new creation, and that you have a right understanding of who you are without Christ, and you have a right understanding of Christ, you are going to live your life in a way to just continually please him. You are going to want to search the scriptures and say, I want to know the law of God because I want to obey God in all my life. Not because I'm trying to earn righteousness, but because I want to be like Jesus. I want to be the best image of him I can be to this world. I want to be 
like the family that I have been adopted into. I want to do the works that are attributed with my family. And when you think about who gets glory, you're going to say, Christ gets all the glory, not me. There is nothing to boast in myself. It's only in Jesus. When you think about praise and worship, it's not going to be to ourselves. It's not going to be to to earthly things because you're going to know that Christ is supreme over all creation. There is no created thing worth worship. There is no created thing worth our time and praise. We don't glorify anything created. We glorify the creator. We glorify Jesus. It really leads to thankfulness. I'm thankful for what God has done for me. Aren't you? I'm thankful that he's done that, and that leads me to want to love others. Christians should be known for their love because we know who we were. We have this inside track of knowledge of saying, this is who we are without Christ. This is, this is who we could be. One of the graces of God is that, is that a lot of people aren't as bad as they could be. When I think about my life, when I think about where the trajectory I was on, where would I be today if Christ had, would not have stepped in and said, you are a new creation, I'm going to, I am changing your heart, and I'm going to make you new. If that grace would never have happened in my life, where would I be right now? That is a scary thought. Do you ever think about that? It's scary, isn't it? And that leads me to want to love others. It leads me to want to, to, to show that love to other people and worship well. Paul leaves with the fact that, that they have been proclaimed this gospel. And we leave with that fact, that we have been proclaimed this gospel. It's evident in our lives. It's, we're going to continue. We're going to, to hold the faith. We're going to stay steadfast. We're going to stay stable in that through the work of the Holy Spirit. But what we have heard, we must now tell. That's what we proclaim up here, but it's what we proclaim all week in our homes, in our workplaces, in our hobbies, in the stores, wherever God takes you, we want to proclaim the love of Christ. We want to point to the true image, and that is Jesus. So if you're here this morning, that's the application. That's what we take away with us, and that's what our call to do is. And so as we continue this time of worship, we are going to praise God, not, not because we are here, that's just what you do, but because of what God has done for us. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as Savior, then this is my second invitation to you, to let that be today. Let today be the day when you realize that you now know who God is, you know how great, wonderful Jesus is, that he is the ruler of all things, and that includes you. My plea, my prayer would be that you would bow your knee and submit to him today. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for you not just because of who you are, because of what you have done for us. Lord, as we look at our lives, as we look at every single person here, it is unmistakable the work that you have done, the work that you have done in, in the full Godhead, in perfect unity. Lord, we thank you that Christ came, he lived a, a perfect life, and that he went to the cross on our behalf, and that he fully and completely defeated death. And that he was first, and that we can then follow. Lord, I pray as we leave this place, that we let these truths of the scriptures change our hearts. Lord, help us to love more. 
Help us to, to want to tell others more about you. Help us to want to worship more. Lord, I pray right now as we enter a time of song that we worship and praise your name. Lord, I pray that it will be a sweet fragrance to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We're going to take a few minutes to reflect.